Book Twenty, Chapters Four through Six, of the Antiquities of the Jews, Volume Four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley. The Antiquities of the Jews, Volume Four, by Flavius Josephus. Translated by William Whiston. Book Twenty, Chapters Four through Six. Chapter Four How Izates was betrayed by his own subjects and fought against by the Arabians, and how Izates, by the providence of God, was delivered out of their hands. Now when the king's brother, Monobazus, and his other kindred saw how Izates, by his piety to God, was become greatly esteemed by all men, they also had a desire to leave the religion of their country, and to embrace the customs of the Jews, but that act of theirs was discovered by Izates' subjects. Whereupon the grandees were much displeased, and could not contain their anger at them, but had an intention, when they should find a proper opportunity, to inflict a punishment upon them. Accordingly, they wrote to Abia, king of the Arabians, and promised him great sums of money, if he would make an expedition against their king, and they further promised him that, on the first onset, they would desert their king, because they were desirous to punish him by reason of the hatred he had to their religious worship. Then they obliged themselves by oaths to be faithful to each other, and desired that he would make haste in this design. The king of Arabia complied with their desires, and brought a great army into the field, and marched against Izates, and in the beginning of the first onset, and before they came to a close fight, those grandees, as if they had a panic terror upon them, all deserted Izates, as they had agreed to do, and turning their backs upon their enemies, ran away. Yet was not Izates dismayed at this, but when he understood that the grandees had betrayed him, he also retired into his camp, and made inquiry into the matter as soon as he knew who they were that made this conspiracy with the king of Arabia, he cut off those that were found guilty, and renewing the fight on the next day, he slew the greatest part of his enemies, and forced all the rest to betake themselves to flight. He also pursued their king, and drove him into a fortress called Arsamus, and following on the siege vigorously, he took that fortress. And when he had plundered it of all the prey that was in it, which was not small, he returned to Adiabene, yet did not he take Abia alive, because when he found himself encompassed on every side, he slew himself. But although the grandees of Adiabene had failed in their first attempt, as being delivered up by God into their king's hands, yet would they not even then be quiet but rode again to Vologases, who was then king of Parthia, and desired that he would kill Izates, 
and set over them some other potentate who would be of a Parthian family. For they said that they hated their own king for abrogating the laws of their forefathers and embracing foreign customs. When the king of Parthia heard this, he boldly made war upon Izates, and as he had no just pretense for his war, he sent to him and demanded back those honorable privileges which had been bestowed on him by his father, and threatened, on his refusal, to make war upon him. Upon hearing of this, Izates was under no small trouble of mind, as thinking it would be a reproach upon him to appear to resign those privileges that had been bestowed upon him out of cowardice, yet because he knew that though the king of Parthia should receive back those honors, yet would he not be quiet, he resolved to commit himself to God, his protector, in the present danger he was in of his life and as he esteemed him to be his principal assistance, he entrusted his children and his wives to a very strong fortress, and laid up his corn in his citadels, and set the hay and the grass on fire. And when he had thus put things in order, as well as he could, he awaited the coming of the enemy. And when the king of Parthia was come, with a great army of footmen and horsemen, which he did sooner than was expected, for he marched in great haste, and had cast up a bank at the river that parted Adiabene from Media. Izates also pitched his camp not far off, having with him six thousand horsemen. But there came a messenger to Izates, sent by the king of Parthia, who told him how large his dominions were, as reaching from the river Euphrates to Bactria, and enumerated that king's subjects. He also threatened him that he should be punished as a person ungrateful to his lords, and said that the god whom he worshipped could not deliver him out of the king's hands. When the messenger had delivered this his message, Azotes replied that he knew the king of Parthia's power was much greater than his own, but that he knew also that God was much more powerful than all men. And when he had returned him this answer, he betook himself to make supplication to God, and threw himself upon the ground, and put ashes upon his head, in testimony of his confusion, and fasted together with his wives and children. Then he called upon God and said, O Lord and Governor, if I have not in vain committed myself to thy goodness, but have justly determined that thou only art the Lord and principle of all beings. Come now to my assistance, and defend me from my enemies, not only on my own account, but on account of their insolent behavior with regard to thy power, while they have not feared to lift up their proud and arrogant tongue against thee. Thus did he lament and bemoan himself with tears in his eyes, whereupon God heard his prayer. And immediately that very night Vologases received letters, the contents of which were these. 
that a great band of Dahi and Saxi, despising him, now he was gone so long a journey from home, had made an expedition and laid Parthia waste, so that he was forced to retire back without doing anything. And thus it was that Izates escaped the threatenings of the Parthians by the providence of God. It was not long ere Izates died when he had completed fifty-five years of his life and had ruled his kingdom twenty-four years. He left behind him twenty-four sons and twenty-four daughters. However, he gave order that his brother Monobazus should succeed in the government, thereby requiting him, because, while he was himself absent after their father's death, he had faithfully preserved the government for him. But when Helena his mother heard of her son's death, she was in great heaviness, as was but natural, upon her loss of such a most dutiful son, yet was it a comfort to her that she heard the succession came to her eldest son. Accordingly she went to him in haste, and when she was come into Adiabene, she did not long outlive her son Izates. But Monobaza sent her bones, as well as those of Izates his brother, to Jerusalem, and gave order that they should be buried at the pyramids which their mother had erected. They were three in number, and distant no more than three furlongs from the city Jerusalem. But for the actions of Monobazus the king, which he did during the rest of his life, we will relate them hereafter. Chapter 5 Concerning Thutis and the sons of Judas the Galilean, as also what calamity fell upon the Jews on the day of the Passover. Now it came to pass, while Phaedus was procurator of Judea, that a certain magician, whose name was Thutis, persuaded a great part of the people to take their effects with them and follow him to the river Jordan, for he told them he was a prophet, and that he would, by his own command, divide the river, and afford them an easy passage over it. And many were deluded by his words. However, Phaedus did not permit them to make any advantage of his wild attempt, but sent a troop of horsemen out against them, who, falling upon them unexpectedly, slew many of them, and took many of them alive. They also took Thutis alive, and cut off his head, and carried it to Jerusalem. This was what befell the Jews at the time of Cuspius Phaedus's government. Then came Tiberius Alexander as successor to Phaedus. He was the son of Alexander the Alabarch of Alexandria, which Alexander was a principal person among all his contemporaries, both for his family and wealth. He was also more eminent for his piety than this his son Alexander, for he did not continue in the religion of his country. Under these procurators that great famine happened in Judea, in which Queen Helena bought corn in Egypt at a great expense, and distributed it to those that were in want, as I have related already. And besides this, the sons of Judas of Galilee were now slain. I mean of that Judas who caused the people to revolt, when Cyrenius came to take an account of the estates of the Jews, as we have showed 
in a foregoing book. The names of those sons were James and Simon, whom Alexander commanded to be crucified. And now Herod, king of Chalcis, removed Joseph the son of Camadus from the high priesthood, and made Ananias the son of Nebedu his successor. And now it was that Cumanus came as successor to Tiberius Alexander, as also that Herod, brother of Agrippa the great king, departed this life in the eighth year of the reign of Claudius Caesar. He left behind him three sons, Aristobulus, whom he had by his first wife, with Bernicianus and Hyrcanus, both of whom he had by Bernice his brother's daughter. But Claudius Caesar bestowed his dominions on Agrippa Jr. Now while the Jewish affairs were under the administration of Curianus, there happened a great tumult in the city of Jerusalem, and many of the Jews perished therein. But I shall first explain the occasion whence it was derived. When that feast, which is called the Passover, was at hand, at which time our custom is to use unleavened bread, and a great multitude was gathered together from all parts to that feast, Cumanus was afraid lest some attempt of innovation should then be made by them. So he ordered that one regiment of the army should take their arms and stand in the temple cloisters to repress any attempts of innovation if perchance any such should begin, and this was no more than what the former procurators of Judea did at such festivals. But on the fourth day of the feast, a certain soldier let down his breeches and exposed his privy members to the multitude, which put those that saw him into a furious rage and made them cry out that this impious action was not done to reproach them, but God himself. Nay, some of them reproached Cumanus, and pretended that the soldier was set on by him, which, when Cumanus heard, he was also himself not a little provoked at such reproaches laid upon him. Yet did he exhort them to leave off such seditious attempts, and not to raise a tumult at the festival. But when he could not induce them to be quiet, for they still went on in their reproaches to him, he gave order that the whole army should take their entire armor and come to Antonia, which was a fortress, as we have said already, which overlooked the temple. And when the multitude saw the soldiers there, they were affrighted at them and ran away hastily. But as the passages out were but narrow, and as they thought their enemies followed them, they were crowded together in their flight, and a great number were pressed to death in those narrow passages. Nor indeed was the number fewer than twenty thousand that perished in this tumult. So, instead of a festival, they had at last a mournful day of it, and they all of them forgot their prayers and sacrifices, and betook themselves to lamentation and weeping, so great an affliction did the impudent obsceneness of a single soldier bring upon them. Now, before this, their first mourning was over, 
another mischief befell them also for some of those that raised the foregoing tumults when they were travelling along the public road about a hundred furlongs from the city robbed stephanus a servant of caesar as he was journeying and plundered him of all that he had with him which things when curianus heard of he sent soldiers immediately and ordered them to plunder the neighboring villages and to bring the most eminent persons among them in bonds to him now as this devastation was making one of the soldiers seized the laws of moses that lay in one of those villages and brought them out before the eyes of all present and tore them to pieces and this was done with reproachful language and much scurrility which things when the jews heard of they ran together and that in great numbers and came down to caesarea where cumanus then was and besought him that he would avenge not themselves but god himself whose laws had been affronted for that they could not bear to live any longer if the laws of their forefathers must be affronted after this manner accordingly cumanus out of fear lest the multitude should go into a sedition and by the advice of his friends also took care that the soldier who had offered the affront to the laws should be beheaded and thereby put a stop to the sedition which was ready to be kindled a second time chapter six how there happened a quarrel between the jews and the samaritans and how claudius put an end to their differences now there arose a quarrel between the samaritans and the jews on the occasion following it was the custom of the galileans when they came to the holy city at the festivals to take their journeys through the country of the samaritans and at this time there lay in the road they took a village that was called genea which was situated in the limits of samaria and the great plain where certain persons thereto belonging fought with the galileans and killed a great many of them but when the principal of the galileans were informed of what had been done they came to cumanus and desired him to avenge the murder of those that were killed but he was induced by the samaritans with money to do nothing in the matter upon which the galileans were much displeased and persuaded the multitude of the jews to betake themselves to arms and to regain their liberty saying that slavery was in itself a bitter thing but that when it was joined with direct injuries it was perfectly intolerable and when their principal men endeavored to pacify them and promised to endeavor to persuade curianus to avenge those that were killed they would not hearken to them but took their weapons and entreated the assistance of eleazar the son of danaeus a robber who had many years made his abode in the mountains with which assistance they plundered many villages of the samaritans when cumanus heard of this action of theirs he took the band of sebaste with four regiments of footmen 
and armed the Samaritans, and marched out against the Jews, and caught them, and slew many of them, and took a great number of them alive, whereupon those that were the most eminent persons at Jerusalem, and that both in regard to the respect that was paid them, and the families they were of, as soon as they saw to what a height things were gone, put on sackcloth and heaped ashes upon their heads, and by all possible means besought the seditious, and persuaded them that they would set before their eyes the utter subversion of their country, the conflagration of their temple, and the slavery of themselves, their wives, and children, which would be the consequences of what they were doing, and would alter their minds, would cast away their weapons, and for the future be quiet, and return to their own homes. These persuasions of theirs prevailed upon them. So the people dispersed themselves, and the robbers went away again to their places of strength, and after this time all Judea was overrun with robberies. But the principal of the Samaritans went to Umidius Quadratus, the president of Syria, who at that time was at Tyre, and accused the Jews of setting their villages on fire and plundering them, and said withal that they were not so much displeased at what they had suffered as they were at the contempt thereby showed the Romans, while if they had received any injury, they ought to have made them the judges of what had been done, and not presently to make such devastation, as if they had not the Romans for their governors, on which account they came to him in order to obtain that vengeance they wanted. This was the accusation which the Samaritans brought against the Jews. But the Jews affirmed that the Samaritans were the authors of this tumult and fighting, and that in the first place Cumanus had been corrupted by their gifts and passed over the murder of those that were slain in silence. Which allegations, when Quadratus heard, he put off the hearing of the cause, and promised that he would give sentence when he should come into Judea and should have a more exact knowledge of the truth of that matter. So these men went away without success. Yet was it not long, ere Quadratus came to Samaria, where, upon hearing the cause, he supposed that the Samaritans were the authors of that disturbance. But when he was informed that certain of the Jews were making innovations, he ordered those to be crucified whom Cumanus had taken captives from whence he came to a certain village called Lydda, which was not less than a city in largeness, and there heard the Samaritan cause a second time before his tribunal, and there learned from a certain Samaritan that one of the chief of the Jews, whose name was Dortus, and some other innovators with him, four in number, persuaded the multitude to a revolt from the Romans, whom Quadratus ordered to be put to death. But still he sent away Ananias, the high priest, and Ananus, the commander of the temple, in bonds to Rome, to give an account of what they had done to Claudius Caesar. 
He also ordered the principal men, both of the Samaritans and of the Jews, as also Cumanus the procurator and Celer the tribune, to go to Italy to the emperor, that he might hear their cause and determine their differences one with another. But he came again to the city of Jerusalem, out of his fear that the multitude of the Jews should attempt some innovations. But he found the city in a peaceable state, and celebrating one of the usual festivals of their country to God. So he believed that they would not attempt any innovations, and left them at the celebration of the festival, and returned to Antioch. Now Cumanus and the principal of the Samaritans, who were sent to Rome, had a day appointed them by the emperor, whereupon they were to have pleaded their cause about the quarrels they had one with another. But now Caesar's freedmen and his friends were very zealous on the behalf of Cumanus and the Samaritans, and they had prevailed over the Jews, unless Agrippa Jr., who was then at Rome, had seen the principle of the Jews hard set, and had earnestly entreated Agrippina, the emperor's wife, to persuade her husband to hear the cause, so as was agreeable to his justice, and to condemn those to be punished who were really the authors of this revolt from the Roman government. Whereupon Claudius was so well disposed beforehand that when he had heard the cause, and found that the Samaritans had been the ringleaders in those mischievous doings, he gave order that those who came up to him should be slain, and that Curianus should be banished. He also gave order that Celer the tribune should be carried back to Jerusalem, and should be drawn through the city in the sight of all the people, and then should be slain. End of Book 20, Chapters 4 through 6. Recording by Bill Mosley, Frelsburg, Texas, USA.